Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless your name, for by your love you sent your only begotten Son, that he might rescue us and redeem us. He who laid down his life for us, who became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. We acknowledge that we were without Christ and without hope, and that in our hopeless and helpless condition, the God-man became our only mediator. His body, as the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for us. His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. What glorious news this is for us. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is our salvation. We thank you also for the faithful saints who have both guarded and delivered this gospel to us, who by their lives and testimonies were faithful to their calling. We rejoice in your kind providence which brought the good news to our ears and for the Holy Spirit who opened our hearts to receive so great a salvation. We pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are laboring to spread this gospel, especially those who are in hostile and dangerous places. Grant them faith, hope, and courage today. Bless and prosper their ministries, and thank you for their faithfulness. We continue to pray for our community, our state, nation, and the world regarding the coronavirus. We know that your infinite knowledge, wisdom, and power are at work in the midst of this to accomplish many things, from judgment to blessing. May good things come from these trials, and may all the earth know that you are the Lord. Help us now as we sit under the preaching of your word to understand your glorious work of salvation, that we might come to Mount Zion and and enter the city of God, that we might likewise declare it to the world, that we might embrace your mission and transmit that mission to our children and our children's children so that we might be found standing with all the faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. Hear now God's word. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, Amen. I want to say congratulations to the graduating seniors in the class of 2020. Uh, we have six members of our church who are, uh, who are honored today uh, as graduating seniors. Zane Anderson, Sidney Bryant, Knox Fairley, Ethan Fairley, Nathan Landrum, and James Vermillion. And we are happy, and we know that you're happy, and you're happy primarily because you think it's over, and we're happy because we know that it's just beginning. I get to offer a version of this same sermon every year because what I have to say to seniors really doesn't change that much, and that's because the message of the Bible is constant. However, I do try to custom fit the message to the graduates, these six graduates this year. And so let me say to them very seriously, we are indeed very happy for each of you 
and we desire God's richest blessings on you. However, God's blessings don't come from our good wishes. They come from loving God, from believing God, from obeying God. The scriptures teach us that the world is divided into basically two kinds of people, the wise and the foolish. Wisdom and folly are always followed by blessing or misery. The folly of doing it our way leads to countless disasters. The wisdom of doing it God's way, well, Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 captures it well when it says, Only be strong and be courageous, that you may observe to do according to all which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy heart, out of thy mouth, but uh, thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and be of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. John Adams observed that there are two types of education. One should teach us how to make a living, and the other teaches us how to live. Many people have made livings without really living. Only a genuine man or woman of God, the one who walks with God, can really live. Now we mark time by the ceremonies of our lives. We celebrate, we celebrated a wedding on Friday, and today we are celebrating graduates from high school. These are the milestones of our lives, our birthdays, holidays, weddings, and graduations. They can be both happy, but they can also be a bit frightening because these new circumstances always present new challenges. Many of these milestones uh, mark time, times of transition in our life, from childhood to adulthood. Becoming a teenager is kind of one of those first steps from childhood to adulthood, and graduation from high school certainly represents another major step in that direction. Moving toward full, what I call covenant transition, that is assuming full personal responsibility before God. So you want to be an adult, do you? Well, real maturity will take far more than a string of birthdays and a diploma. It will take Christian character, and that can only be had one way. I care about your souls. And believe me, these are matters that concern your souls. Your lifelong happiness or your misery are at stake. From Proverbs 4, we're given these words, and I speak them to you now as your pastor and as a shepherd. Starting in verse 20 of chapter 4 of Proverbs, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. 
Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Now, of course, this sermon is for graduates, but it's not just for graduates. Some of you will know from your own experience much of what I will say today uh, that it's true. Some of you with younger children should begin now to prepare for the coming transitions in your own household. So this is a time of transition for young people, for these six young people, as well as their parents. But what is the nature of the transition? What does the Bible expect of these young people and their parents? So let me read today's text again. It's short, but to set the table here for a few things, a few observations I'd like to make this morning. Again, Philippians 1, 27 and 28, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So the Apostle Paul is addressing the church at Philippi, and he wasn't sure whether he would ever see some of these individuals again or not. He certainly hoped and expected that he might, but none of us can ever be sure of such things. Seniors, today we see you, we know you, but we might not see you in the future. We do at least hope to hear good things about you uh, and your future. However, there is one constant witness of your life, and that is God. Perhaps you remember the children's catechism question that asked, can you see God? And the answer is no, but he always sees me. This is an essential lesson because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It's him that sees, it's him that we serve, and it's him to whom we will all give an account. And so as you pause today and perhaps look back, and certainly as you look forward, these words from Philippians provide some clear direction for you. The text begins with the word only. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. This emphasizes the force and the focus of the objective of the Christian life. Everyone who knows you is about to find out what you really think of Jesus Christ. Everyone will know how much you value the gospel simply by observing your conduct. How you dress, how you talk, who your friends are, whether you worship or sleep, indulge yourself or serve others, what kind of student, employee or spouse you are, all of those will be indicators. You see, the gospel is the most valuable thing in the world. The only question is, do you recognize that fact? And we will know, know that by how you reflect its worth. We can always determine what someone thinks of something by seeing how they treat it. If we were to look at your things, we would know they must treasure this thing, or this thing is pretty close to trash. We can tell by the way it's cared for. It doesn't matter whether we see you in the future or if we're absent. Your life is, uh, your call is to live a life before God uh, who does see 
a life worthy of the gospel. And certainly, whether we see you or not, others will see you. You are called to adorn the message of the gospel. It's beautiful by itself, but you, as a believer, are called to dress it up, to point to it, to help people see it in a favorable light, to make it even more lovely and attractive, to enable people to see what it does to a person and how it changes who and what we are, to have someone look at you and say, I'm not sure what he or she has, but that's what I want. You know, that's my story of how I came to know Christ. I saw some people living in a manner worthy of the gospel, and I just it was attractive. It made me want whatever it was they had. And so you are a baptized member of the church, which means that you are part of the body of Christ, and as such, you should be the gospel, the good news incarnate. Paul will write in the next chapter, in chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 14 through 16, do all things without complaining or disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I Uh, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And so the message from our text today is both simple and profound. From this point forward, as those who bear the name of Christ and who proclaim his gospel, you must be steadfast, unified, and courageous. So let's look at each of these three. First, be steadfast. The text says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The idea here is that we are to maintain our position. Of course, we have to know what our position is to start with, and then we are to maintain that. Paul elaborates in Ephesians 4.14 when he says that we should no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so seniors, you've been given a great deal. Your family, your church, your school have all attempted to incarnate, uh, inculcate the gospel in you. You have been given a rich inheritance. The question now is, what will you do with it? Will you invest it? Will you use it to accomplish great things, to prosper in your labor, to have a glorious marriage and family, to serve the church and the broader community, to love your neighbor and love God, or like the prodigal son? Will you recognize that what you've been given can also be squandered and wasted? The resurrection of Jesus is the central and the most important fact in all of history and for the future of mankind. I said this last Sunday, and I'll say it again. If the gospel isn't true, then we must concur with Paul when he writes, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, And also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But of course, if the resurrection did occur, then it changes everything. It changes why you get up every single day. It changes why you study and work and marry and have a family. And we could go on and on and on because it changes everything. And so... To our graduating seniors, uh, you have been buried with Christ through baptism, as Paul writes in Romans 6. Uh, You've been buried with Christ through baptism into death, that just as Christ 
was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so with our eyes set on the hope of the resurrection, Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so however many tomorrows God gives each of you, there will be challenges and temptations one after another. There will be trials, there will be failures and sorrows, they're all coming your way, and they're going to try to knock you off center. They're going to try to make you lose your balance, they're going to try to make you fall, but you belong to Jesus, and he will never leave you or forsake you. If you're rooted in him, if you're rooted in his word, then you will not be tossed by every wind of doctrine and the deceitful scheming of men. Your steadfastness in Christ or your wobbliness is about to become clear for all to see. In the face of peer pressure and a culture that denies Christ, you, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, must stand fast. Ephesians 6, 11-13 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, in the evil day, and have done all to stand. And so in this totally materialistic and overly sexualized culture, this is an area where you can adorn the gospel and not give in to the normalizing of immorality. Commit yourselves to purity for Christ's sake. You are set apart. You are holy unto the Lord. Defy the world because you have overcome the world in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 is very clear, uh, an assertion to young people in particular, but certainly with application that's broader. Flee, run, get away from sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, stand fast. Second, be unified in spirit and mind. The text says, one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, I don't think this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Rather, the text is speaking of how our hearts should be joined together in spirit and purpose and passion with other believers. The friends you make and maintain will be one of the biggest determiners of where you go in your Christian faith, who you hang out with. Find people who are going in the right direction, who are adorning the gospel, who clearly value the gospel. 
Paul writes in just a few verses later in this epistle, giving us an exposition of exactly what it is he has in mind. In Philippians 2, 1 through 4, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. To strive together carries the idea of advancing a position. This is a team effort. The word striving is where we get our English words for athlete and athletics. And so you cannot go it alone. It is essential that you, it's essential for all of us, in fact, to recognize that we are part of a covenant community. That is the body of Christ. If you head out from here, your first priority is to find and become a part of a solid local church and to establish and maintain godly friends. Because if you fail here, you will fail everywhere. I am convinced that few Christians comprehend the full depth of this reality and truth. We are bound together. We need each other. And so you must be totally dedicated, not a half-hearted member of the church, one who is diligent about worship and the sacraments and about fellowship and about sacrificial service, about pursuing peace and fervently loving the brethren and about love and forgiveness living in the context of the discipline of God's Word and God's people. Now, the world offers something quite different. It offers many so-called alternative lifestyles. It always has. But they're lies. They offer a false hope with shallow and transient happiness. You can look at previous graduates and find plenty of examples of both trajectories. As the Proverbs warn, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is death. We belong to Jesus Christ, not to ourselves. We have denied ourselves to follow him, and we don't follow him alone. We've been called out of the world and set apart in order that we might be sent back to the world as citizens of a new kingdom and as part of a new humanity. This is part of the incarnation of the gospel Love for one another is how they will know that we and that you are indeed disciples of Christ. It's a sign to the world that we already are citizens of a new kingdom, that we serve a different king. It declares that the new world has begun and that the threats of the old one really don't matter anymore. And so seniors, many who are graduating in the class of 2020 will abandon Christ and the church. They have more important things to pursue. They will determine good and evil for themselves. They don't need anyone, including God, to tell them otherwise. But you should never, ever neglect Christ's church. It matters where you go. It matters that you go. Make that decision one time. Never sleep in. It's too costly. You must be completely united in spirit and mind with the people of God at all times because that is the only way you will be able to stand fast. 
Third, be courageous. The text says, not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Courage is not the lack of fear, but rather it's doing the right thing in the face of fear. There are more scary things out there than you can even imagine right now. I know you all think you know a lot, but you thought that when you were 6 and 13 and every other age, right? There will be some rude awakenings ahead of you. David's standoff with Goliath, Goliath, though, is an example of the kind of courage and boldness that will be necessary if you're going to face opposition. Giants, you see, come in many, many forms. David's prior practice with little things. You remember he was out uh, as a young teenager tending to his father's sheep, but he wasn't wasting his time out there. He was preparing for bigger things, and God was preparing him for bigger things. And so he was writing poetry, and he was learning to play his harp, and he was defending those sheep and learning to use his slingshot. And then when the big thing came along, he was ready to prevail. But it was mostly his faith in God that equipped him for those challenges. The word translated here, terrified, has the idea of a stampede of, of startled horses. And so Peter uses a little different word to express the same idea when he writes in 1 Peter 3, 13-17, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of, of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Do not be afraid. Uh, this, this is the, the Greek word here is phobos, where we get our word phobia. Don't have a phobia of the world, of, of unbelievers. Don't be afraid of men. Stand with Christ. Be steadfast and immovable. As John affirms in 1 John 5, 4-5, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He who, is, he, uh, who is he who has overcome the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we live as Christians, that is, we live knowing that Jesus is already the true Lord of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And since most people don't know this yet, we're out of step with the world that's around us. And this is why our behavior in the private and public realm must be above reproach. It must live up to the gospel. It must be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we must not retreat into some kind of Christian ghetto, but rather we must encounter and confront our culture, not in a hostile way, but in a glorious way, in a beautiful way, in a way that adorns the gospel and makes it attractive. This is true in our private and individual relationships as well as our more public relationships as students, as workers, and as neighbors. Wherever God places you, that is where you serve. 
And so we're often waiting for and looking for the big thing. But the big thing is right here, right now. It's right next to you. It's in your studies. It's in your job. It's in your friendships, in your family. It's in your marriages, in your child rearing. In fact, it's everywhere all the time. This is where we're to stand and where we're to stand without fear. This is where we're to stand, unified in spirit. This is where we're to stand, adorning the gospel of Christ. Psalm 31 instructs us here, verses 23 and 24. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. And our text ends with this which is to them, that is the, the world, the unbelieving world, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. That is your steadfastness and your unity and your courage. All of that is going to be in, stand in stark contrast. This message uh, sent by the steadfast, unified, courageous behavior is evidence. It's proof. It's an omen concerning the future. For unbelievers, your steadfast, unafraid unity is a sign of judgment. But for you, it's a sign of salvation. 2 Corinthians 2, 14-16, Paul writes, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, an aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? And so, to our graduating seniors, and I say this really to all of us, a life worthy of the gospel of Christ cannot be a sheltered life. It's not all about you. It's all about Him. When the world looks at you and doesn't see holiness, purity, and virtue, then there appears to be no reason to believe the gospel. And when the world doesn't see steadfastness, unity, and courage in you, then you haven't conducted yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so I charge you today, May each of you go forth, and may your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I pray that his blessings will come to you, to each of you, accordingly. Let's pray. O God, our Father, you have been a refuge and dwelling place in all generations. Before all creation and from all eternity, you are God. But as for us, our days are like grass, as the flowers in the field. We appear but for a moment. The wind passes over us and we're gone. O Lord, make us to know the end and the measure of our days, that we might know how frail we really are. May we reflect on the vanity, brevity, and uncertainty of things seen and temporal, and may we pursue those things which are unseen and eternal. Father, we rejoice today at the sight of these young people that you have called to yourself. You formed them in their mother's wombs and have numbered their days. We pray that you would continue to direct their steps and make their path straight. Grant them the wisdom of Christian humility and the grace of Christian charity. Protect them from temptation and from those who would do them harm. Establish them in righteousness 
Equip them for service. Prosper their way and grant them your peace. May it be obvious to all who know these graduates that they are building their lives upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. May they adorn the gospel and remain steadfast of one mind and spirit with your people and unafraid. Fill them with your spirit. Give them a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. In the days ahead, make their ears attentive to wisdom and incline their hearts to understanding and seek, and may they seek for it as hidden treasure. We ask your blessings now upon all of them in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.